Before you sit down, I just want to say this. I fell into worship two things uh, I wanted to say, and one of them is to your pastor. I'll just leave it, but I wanted to say something to you, Josh. I met this man. He's a, a well-accomplished man, uh, someone that has uh, sung and uh, is, is a, an incredible man of God, a man of integrity, a man that gets things done. I want to tell you something about Josh that we can all learn something from. I asked Josh, Josh, what do you want to do with your life? And Josh said, I want to be a CEO or I want to be an MD. Now, you know what's interesting is there's so many people that say when you ask them, what do you want to do? What do you want to be in life? They don't know how to answer that or they don't want to say what they want to be because they're scared. I want to say that your words frame your future. You have got an incredible life ahead of you, a game changer you are. I just want to say I am so honored, so proud of you, buddy, and God is singing over you right now. He loves the way that you are. He loves the way that you protect your wife, that you have a future together, that you are framing your future. And I want to say, keep speaking big. When everyone around you speaks small, you keep on speaking big because you have the same spirit of David. Bless you, buddy. I love you. I wanted to speak to your pastor as well. I joke on about with him, but I think there's something on you. There's something that your pastors have done, which I think is is exceptional. And I want to honor you, pastors. I'm sorry, I will be. I, I will keep to the time. I promise you, pastor, I honor you. There's something that your pastor has done, which I think is exceptional. He has reinvented himself. I want to tell you that any good leader actually has the ability to reinvent themselves, to actually go from taking them from season season to season. You know, I've started wearing a coat because it's got cold. I've had to change what I wear, change what I do, change how I do things for the next season. I'm saying now what you've done needs to be echoed out. You need to teach this to leaders. The art of it's not just about how you look. This is about the reinvention of a church, the reinvention so that we can keep on reaching the young people, so that they're right at the front, so that we can reach thousands of young people in Cambridge, that we could start, and that starts with reinvention. We can't keep on doing things the way that we've done, because we'll get what we've always got. And I want to speak that into you and affirm that into your life. It is urgent, the time is urgent, and we as leaders need to reinvent ourselves. I know that it's comfortable to stay the same, Oh, there's so much comfort in that. But actually, we need the art, the ability, and you've done it. He's looking more like Breaking Bad every day. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Ben. Um, I, uh, I, I love being in this church. I love this church. C3 church. I love it. Uh, I love church. The hope of the world lies in the local church, and I love this church. I feel privileged that Hope for Justice is supported in that. But also, me and my family, I count your pastors as dear friends. Yesterday, we went out for a meal together just the, in the conference. Um, uh, your pastor introduced me. He 
who spoke so many life-affirming words over my life. He also gave me the opportunity to walk tall this morning uh, because in front of uh, the whole congregation yesterday, uh, Pastor Steve got the, uh, the table tennis out and uh, he thought he could beat me because apparently in this church he's undefeatable. Uh, but what's great is uh, that uh, every leader has a, 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 someone that humbles them. And, uh, well, I'm sorry I broke you, Pastor. I just want to say that um, I've beaten him twice now. Um, oh, you did that prepared, haven't you? Oh, that's right. Preparation's all you need. Now, men, if you didn't book into a send, you wouldn't have known what we were talking about there. I'm just saying, right? Anyway, if you got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 9. Do you know, I, uh, I, love, I love my family. Uh, as I grow older, I'm 34 now. I know some of you are thinking, hey, wow, oh my gosh, I was 34 when I was your age. <laughs> you were, you're right. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've actually, um, you know, I've, I surround myself, I, I want to say to young leaders, one of the best things that you can do is surround yourself with people that are better than you. And uh, I have some incredible leaders around me, and uh, one uh, person just said to me just recently, uh, Ben, my top tip for life in ministry is that you, uh, um, you look after your children and your wife. No one else can do that. And uh, they, said, they said this uh, kind of phrase, they said, look, your children, right? It's, it goes like this, 5, 10, 15, gone. And how they go is how they'll stay in your family. And uh, I love my kids. I'm committed to spending more and more time with my kids. It's challenging because I'm on the road a lot, uh, speaking and, uh, and sharing about the work of Hope for Justice. But I'm more committed to my kids than ever before. You know, I love my kids. You know, Lily, right, Lily, a few days ago, I was like, uh, I went downstairs, uh, I have one wife, two kids, Isabel and Lily. My wife is called Debbie. Pray for her. She's got a migraine at the moment. And uh, I, I, unfortunately, sometimes those last two weeks where she spends two weeks in bed a month, it's just devastating for us as a family. If you have any time to pray, please pray for her. But, uh, but Lily, uh, one day I came downstairs. We have a Labradoodle called Jessie. I came downstairs. I said, look, Lily, you're going to have to walk the dog to school with Deb. Uh, she said, but Dad, I don't want to. Go to, I don't want to walk the dog to school. I said, Lily, you've got to walk the dog to school. We need to walk the dog. We've got to do it. You've got to do it. You wanted a dog. You know, you need to walk the dog, right? And he's going, but Dad, I don't want to walk the dog. Let's just do it. I was like, Lily, you need to walk the dog to school. She burst into tears. <laughs> Dad, I'm going. I was like, right, I'm coming back in a few minutes. I went and I uh, blow-dried my hair. And... Uh, I know. You know, they say uh, love covers a multitude of sins. So does long hair at the front. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Anyway. <laughs> and so I walk downstairs, and Lily's there, and she sat next to Deb having breakfast. I said, Lily, you're going to have to walk the dog to school. She said, but Dad, you don't understand the stress of life I'm under. She's nine. Oh, you don't understand the exams. I've got an exam. I said, Lily, you're going to, please, please. <laughs> Lily, please, come on, you got that? Come on, Dad! Dad! All right, fine. You can get a lift to school. I walk upstairs and I can hear her. She turns to my wife. She says, and that, my friend, is how you get the job done. 
<laughs> I walked downstairs, walked into the kitchen. <laughs> You're walking to school. <laughs> I love it. Do you know what? Ah, oh, they're the moments, aren't they? You know, that you just want to throttle them. Uh, <laughs> you know, Lily, I was teaching her how to uh, ride a bike. I've got a lot of bike stories. I cycle from Latvia to Southampton. I've got a lot of bike stories. I was teaching my daughter how to ride the bike. And uh, she's, she's a very confident girl, but I don't know. Sometimes I think confident people are sometimes the most insecure people. And she was cycling, and she, uh, you know, she kept on falling over, and it's because her sister was cycling next to her, and she kept on looking at her sister, and she fell over, or she wasn't looking at where she was going, and I was teaching her, and I was there, and, and like eventually after time, she got it, and she started cycling, and she was going so fast, and her hair was blowing, and then I just heard this like shout from her, and it was amazing. She's this nine-year-old, well, she was six at the time. She was cycling, and she was going, Dad, this is living! This is living! You know, uh, when I cycle a bike, I don't shout, this is living. You know why? Because I've got familiar with it. I don't know when you first became a Christian, when you first won souls, when you first saw healings, whether you shouted out, this is living. But you know one of the dangers to church is something called familiarity. I'd love to be in this place. Wouldn't you love to to get on a bike and just feel that sense of, you. I mean, Pastor Steve, the hair blowing. <laughs> Senior cycling around Cambridge. This is living! You know, the first girl that we ever rescued was trafficked at the age of 14 years old by a mom, sold into Eastern Europe. I've been into brothels all over the world. I've been into brothels in Brazil where I've seen Children 13 to 16 years old, 50 of them in a room. Devastating thing about that situation was uh, not, the, not just the fact that there was 13-year-olds, but the fact that those brothels were owned by the police officers. I mean, in brothels where there's literally uh, like a goldfish bowl with, with like... Um, Great seating, and you're given not, they're not given a name, nor are they given a number. The man is given a pen with a laser sight to point at the child that they want. This girl, Sarah, was sold into a brothel similar to one I've been into Eastern Europe, where I walked into this room and there was an L shaped sofa with eight men. There was one girl in this brothel because of how the legislation worked, and they got around the legislation. And there was three rooms, and the doors were open, and this girl, she was probably about 18 years old, all she was wearing was heels, walked from room to room. Each man was allowed three minutes, three to five minutes with her. That's where Sarah got sold into, that environment. And uh, she got trafficked back to Manchester, and I used to drive past her to drop my kids off at school. I used to drive past her 
to go to church. I used to drive past it to go to work. And uh, our team got an intelligence report and we were able to rescue this girl, Sarah. And we were a lot smaller team then. And our organization has grown and I've got further and further away from this moment. But at this time, this was my responsibility to sit in front of this girl, Sarah, and tell her what the next steps were, what was going to happen, where we were going to take her. I'd finished all that I needed to say and she wasn't saying anything, so we sat in silence. And then she broke the silence with this. I'll never cry about it, you know. I'll never cry about it. You don't know what it feels like to be sold to man after man. You don't know what it feels like to be sold to a millionaire who beats you, he abuses you, he laughs at you, and he films it all and puts it on the internet. You don't know what it feels like that your mom was involved in that. What do you say to a girl that's been through that? I said, God, you've got to give me a message. You've got to give me a word in season right now for now. And I felt God remind me of Jeremiah 29. Sarah, I believe there's a hope for your life. I believe there's a future for your life. What was done to you was wrong and we want to put what was wrong right. We want to put you in a place where you are valued, you are cherished, you are loved. Suddenly I feel the presence of God in that room like I've never felt the presence of God. And this girl starts weeping and weeping like a thousand abuses had left her. And then she looks up at me in my eyes and she says, you can call me Emma. No one's called me Emma since this all began. This is living. This is what church is about. I know that right now in buildings like this, we ask for the presence of God. I know that we sing our songs. I know that we preach our preaches. But can I say, this is a platform, but it isn't the platform. We were designed, we were purposed to go out into the brokenness of humanity and bring Jesus. This is living. In Matthew 9, it talks about Jesus. Now, I want to give some context to this. When you read this now and when I read this to you, you've already heard these stories. But maybe we could just read it with the mindset of a child. Lily, the excitement of the journey. Reading it like you've never read it before. Reading it with not the experience that you've walked through or that you have in your life, but reading it like this is happening before our eyes. Jesus stepped out into a boat, crossed over and came into his town. Some men brought to him paralyzed, a paralyzed man lying on a mat and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, sons, your sins are forgiven. And at this, at this, some of the teachers of the law said to himself, themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take him at, and go home. Then the man got up, went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. I mean, can you believe this? I mean, Jesus was on the face of the planet, and this man was brought to him paralyzed. And he said, hey, just to prove my authority, get up and walk. Imagine if that happened right now. Imagine if someone came here, and they were paralyzed, and I, through the power of God, said to them, hey, buddy, get up and walk. Just to prove that my God has authority, get up and walk. And he walked out this place. You'd be all on Instagram. You'd be all on Twitter. You'd be like, hey, God, you need to come tonight. The 5.30 service, it's 6.30 or 5.30. 5.30, it's the biblical, it's the new biblical time. <laughs> we all know that. It says in the Bible. It doesn't, but you know. And then Jesus goes on, and he calls a new follower called Matthew. And these Pharisees say, hey, what are you doing hanging around with tax collectors and sinners? So here he is. He, he gives forgiveness to a man. He heals the, the paralyzed man. He then calls a new follower called Matthew. And then the Pharisees, they question him. They say, hey, why do your followers, why? Why do you hang around with the people that you hang around with? Why are you reaching the sinners? Why are you doing that sort of thing? And why don't you fast like us all? Why, why are you different to us? Who do you think you are? Then Jesus goes from there, that conversation, and it says that Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. It goes on from there and he heals a blind man and a mute man. I mean, can you see this all in one, one paragraph, one scripture? He goes from healing, he gives forgiveness, he heals a paralyzed man, he gets a new follower. This sounds like an awesome day in church to me. Hello, this sounds like living to me. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome? Hello, I'm receiving that. I want that in this church. I want to see it. This is living. This is awesome. Can you see that someone was dead and they become alive? Someone can't see and they see. Someone who lost their voice can now speak. Sounds like living to me. Sounds like what we should be getting excited about in church. I mean, maybe you should sail your faces a little bit. Maybe some of you could stand up and say, you're preaching now, Pastor. I know what you're doing. And then Jesus says these words. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Do you know what I've realized? There's an infinite amount of opportunity for a church. Growth could be unstoppable. What's the problem? There's not enough workers. Is it that there's not enough workers? Or the workers have got disengaged, disheartened. They've actually given up cycling. Let me go back to Lily. She's on a bike. And I think there's three things that I'd like to talk about if I have time. I think I do today. Yes, come on, Ben. You are nailing it in time. I'm so proud of you. Oh, you, you, you make pastors feel awesome. <laughs> so Lily, right? 
Like Lily is like, how do we not give up? That's why I want to, because if we can get everyone engaged in this room, right? If everyone tithes, if everyone gives, if everyone volunteers, if everyone does something, if we actually reduce the fringe of church, if we have everyone all in, we'll be able to change Cambridge. But the problem is, is that we have Pharisees. I'm not calling you a Pharisee, but we have disenfranchised people. People, and it's always interesting if you noticed how they come at Jesus. They always come at Jesus going, who do you think you are? Why are you reaching those people? You know, it's fascinating that questions, the person who asks a question, it probably says more, the question you ask probably says more about you than the person you're asking. Questions reveal a lot about who you are and your values. Similar to jokes. What you joke about often reveals more about what you value. Lily's on this bike and, you know, one of the things that she kept on forgetting when she's like cycling, and we all want to have that moment where we're going, this is living. But one of the things that stopped her is that she didn't know what she was looking at. You know, she didn't know what the vision was. She didn't know where she was going. You know, vision, it says in the Bible, people with no vision cast off restraint. They just cast it off. Have you ever met someone that's visionless? Doesn't know what they're going to do with their life? They just go wandering. Wandering into bad. Wandering into disappointment. They just wander. You know, I get mentored by a chap who's the COO of a FTSE 100 company. He says there's two reasons why people will leave an organization. Two reasons. You should write these down. If you're a manager, if you're a leader in your organization, there's two reasons why people will leave your team. And it's predominantly never about money. It's about two things. They don't know what the vision is, and they don't know their place in it. Let's think about it with church. We have a great vision here in the church. I've heard Steve, Pastor Steve, I've heard him talk about the vision of the church. I've heard him talk about how he wants to reach the last and the broken, the disenfranchised. I've heard him talk about how you reach people through the kitchens and get the homeless through and helping uh, uh, restore people and the passion that he has. And do you know what's great about a visionary? like Pastor Steve, is I've heard his team talk about the same vision. A great visionary, a great leader, develops other vision casters. And you are all with the mandate of being a vision caster of this church. Two reasons why people will leave the church is they don't know what the vision is. I don't think that's our problem here. But this, an interesting thing is people, the second reason is they don't know their place in it. They don't know the place in it. I go to a church called Audacious Church. Uh, I didn't, when I joined it, I couldn't spell it. Um, uh, I know. It's quite, I'm blonde and dyslexic. I'm from the northeast of England. We do have free education up in the northeast. I know that, you know, you're in Cambridge. Uh, I just want you to know that we have free education up until seven years old, um, of which then we're sent to the mines <laughs> until Margaret Thatcher shut the mines and then... <laughs> Anyway, 
I go to Audacious Church, and if you go to our church, this is what happens, right? Is that you will get someone on the car park, right? And let's just do this scenario right now. Uh, this guy, he's never been to church. He's like 40 years old. He's going through a midlife crisis, you know. He started shaving his head and growing a beard <laughs> and trying to look like Breaking Bad. Let's just say this. I don't know if you know anyone like that wearing cool glasses, reinventing himself. <laughs> Lost loads of weights and is a mammal, middle-aged man in Lycra. <laughs> anyway, so here he is. He's never been to church and he's driving to church and then suddenly there's a guy in the car park and he's going, like he drives in and he's going, and the guy in the car park going, hey, how you doing? This is all day. Says, Welcome to church. Amen. God is so good. And this guy's going, what's going on here? I mean, this seems mightily special. Uh, and then there's another guy that's actually like uh, pointing him to the car park to which, which space to take. He's going, hey, this one's for you, buddy. God loves you. And the guy's going, I park my car every day. What's this guy doing? This seems, I, I mean, I thought I was coming to a church. And then the guy, it's raining in Manchester, always rains in Manchester. And then it's like, he gets out of the car and someone's carrying an umbrella and walking him. He's going, well, this is actually quite good. I mean, I, I spent some time perming my hair today. I'm very much appreciative of this. And then he gets in and there's a welcome guy with like sweets and he's going, hey, so excited to see you. Well, okay, uh, and then someone shows him to the seats, and then someone comes up on stage, and the worship starts, and they're like, hey, how you doing? Welcome to church, and they're all wearing skinny jeans, because you know that actually now, if you are in a worship team, you need to wear skinny jeans. The presence of God won't fall, and then, then actually, I mean, it's true. I don't mean to be this disrespectful, but you know, you just have to do it. Just get over it, you know, and they're all dancing around, and they're like this, like Josh. Your praise will ever be on my lips. And this guy's going, wow, this is really energetic. Maybe I do like this. This sounds pretty fun, actually. I mean, I thought church was boring, uh, but maybe this is a good thing. And then the preaching comes, and, uh, and they go, hey, God is for you. He is. He's not against you. He's singing over you. Jesus loves you. He died for you. You've got a plan. You've got a purpose. And, uh, and right at the end of the talk, the keyboard player comes up. Because you cannot land a message without a keyboard now. I mean, it's actually, that is in the Bible. Uh, you know, it, it has to be pad as well. I mean, look, I'm just, look, I don't mean to be offensive. It's just truth. Uh, and it will set you free. And, uh, and the keyboard player comes up and, he, and they land the message. And then they get like, they say, every eye closed, every head bowed. Who wants to follow Jesus? And this man who's felt so welcomed has come from a broken family or from a marriage issue or a work issue or an identity crisis, he puts his hand up. You know, a great organization celebrates the man who asked or the woman who asked, the evangelist. But I believe a healthy church celebrates the man on the car park, the woman on the car park, and says, that was your win, buddy. You need to, when you are reaching the harvest, you need to know what the win is. The vision. We're reaching a, a lost and dying and broken generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of us. Not just the platform, but the platform out there.
Remember the vision and your place in it. You know, this, the second thing that Lily did was that she started looking at her sister. Hey, you know one of the things that's going to make you a disenfranchised, a disenfranchised worker for God? One of those people that he says that the few, the, 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 the people that are, are not engaged in the harvest and not engaged in the mission or, or in church, you know one of the things is comparison. It is debilitating. You know, I, I trained as an opera singer, right? Uh, at, uh, I know I used to wear tights and makeup and dance around. I used to do that in operas as well. Works every time. It's a dream. One time, I was a bass baritone, and I was at the back of the stage, and I was doing this opera, and, uh, and right at the front of the stage was the tenor, and the tenor always wins the war. He always wins the battle, and he always wins the lady. And I was right at the back of the stage, and at the end of the first act, I was dressed as a granddad, and I, I was like old, and I was just about to die in my fight, and the, before me was the tenor, and the tenor was going to beat me in a fight and win the lady. And I thought to myself, there's no one that's going to believe that. You know, no matter how good an actor I am, there's no way on earth he'd beat me in a fight and then that she would pick him over me. But you know, the problem was, is that I was a bass baritone, not a tenor. So I went to my room. I went back to my college, my college room, and I got my keyboard out and I said, I'm going to be a tenor. And you know, if you can sing Nessendorma, you can be a tenor. So I did. I got Nessendorma out. And it was going pretty well up until that bit. You know that bit. The bit everyone gets excited about. The bit, vincero, vincero. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Vincero. Come on, don't throw away your confidence. For it will be richly rewarded. Vincere! At that point in time, there was a knock on my door. It was Mike, my friend and fellow opera singer. Ben, are you all right? <laughs> I didn't answer. He said, Ben, I hate to tell you this. You're not a tenor, you're a bass baritone. I know that's silly. But you know one of the things in church, and in your life and in your walk, is that so many of us are trying to live other people's lives, trying to be something we're not. We then face the disappointment of that. And then we check out. We're like, hey, I tried to be. You know, imagine if David... Imagine if David tried when, it, when Saul's armor was put on him. I love that David was confident enough to say that. Hey, dude, I want to fight Goliath. Don't get me wrong. I see the vision. I see what we need to do. I know my place in it. I know my why. I, I, I'm strongly connected to my why, but I, I need to actually fight like me. My name's David. You can stop playing now. We need to land this. My name's David. Now comes the soft preaching voice. Some of you are like, finally, because you've been shouting at me for the last 20 minutes. I'm done, okay? All right, bring back the guy from Breaking Bad. Now, some of you are going, I don't know what Breaking Bad is. God bless you. You are holy. You're a holy nation set apart for God, and I believe in you. 
I am a sinner that's watched that program. Fast forwarded all the bad bits and I prayed during it for a lost and dying broken generation. Where was I? <laughs> David. She said ending. <laughs> You know, David didn't wear Saul's armor, nor should you. The best gift that you can be the world, to the world is a healthy you. Don't carry that disappointment of trying to be like Pastor Steve. Be you. We're going to reach the harvest. If we're going to have a church that's full of people engaged in the mission, we need to know the vision. We need to know our place in it. We need to actually remember to fight like us. And the third thing is this. You know what Lily had in the background? Maybe she didn't see it all the time, but she had a father with her. Don't worry, Lily, I've got you. Don't worry, babe, I'll catch you. Daddy's here. Daddy's here. Do you know I booked an arena? The first thing I did when I was 26 years old when I heard about the millions of people that are caught in slavery. I did what any young, passionate 26-year-old would do. I booked the NEC arena. I got this phone call. I've never shared this story publicly. I got this phone call. Uh, and I got this, it was an answer phone message. And it was the NEC arena and they said, you've got 24 hours to pay nearly 20,000 pounds. I had no business account, nor did I have a business. I had nothing, but I'd already paid for some of the aspects of what we were gonna do in November the 8th, 2008. I learned a principle that I wanna pass on to you today. When it's God's vision, Daddy always pays the bills. I know we as a generation, wouldn't it be awesome if we didn't lose the wonder of church? I read in Psalm 34, I will exalt the Lord. Your praise will ever be on my lips. God, I will enjoy this journey. I won't take for granted. I won't take for granted your presence. The joy of seeing the paralyzed man walk again. The sinner forgiven. The dead girl brought to life. The blind man to see. The mute shall talk because the harvest is plentiful and God, I am enrolling for duty because I am one of those few that will remember the vision and my place in it. I will fight like me and God, I will remember that I am in the presence of the Almighty God, the author and perfecter of our faith. You know, a few years ago, a girl came up to me. I just want to play this video. She came up to me at an event I was speaking at. And she tapped me on the shoulder. 
She said, Ben, do you recognize me? I said, yeah, I recognize you. She said, Ben, if it wasn't for you, I'd still be in a brothel. If it wasn't for you, I'd still be seeing man after man. But now I have my own apartment. I'm married, I have a child. I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That, my friends, is Emma, the first girl that we ever rescued. This is living! I don't know if today you've forgotten the awe, the wonder. I don't know if you've stopped saying this is living in your walk with God, but can I remind you, remember the vision. Remember that every part is celebrated. Remember to fight like you. And remember, He will be with you to the very end. But can I encourage you, church, we've got to stop playing at it now. We've built a building. We've got to see it finished. But the vision was never a building. It's to facilitate a vision. Now, my friends, let's go and invade the darkness. Let's cycle out of here. Let's shout at the top of our voice. This is living. We're going to start seeing the paralyzed walk because this is living. We're going to see the dead girl set free, live again, because this is living. We're going to see the blind see because this is living. Oh, we're going to see human trafficking end in our generation, God, because this is living. This is a church and this is what we do. We're going to keep on going because we are the few. We are the few. We are the few and we will see.